I grew up in a large family. I had a, a family of uh, five brothers and sisters, so six kids, mom and dad. And uh, sometimes that's a detriment, like when my parents, I felt it. There was one particular time I remember my parents, they were, they seemed depressed. My, my mom and dad were never depressed, at least not around us. And they, they seemed to be because, as I found out later, they, they felt sort of isolated because if you have the Phelps over, how many know it's a moment, okay? <laughs> and the kids were small enough that, you know, we didn't always run out and get a babysitter all the time. We went we, we, with mom and dad almost everywhere. That, that's how we lived. We hung around. We were a family. And we liked being a family. <laughs> and so they would hardly get invited over because, you know, it, that means not just mom and my mother and father, but all six kids. But one of the things that I remember the most is always being around the table. The table is really, really important. The table was something, ah, it just sort of solidified everything. The table was interesting because at the table we had spots. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on. you got to have your spots. That's, that's what we, we still have our spots, right? We, you know, and, and, and we would fight over our spots. So someone got into, you got mean and decided, I'm going to be in this spot. I'm going to go like that. Oh, you know, that was, that was a moment because we liked our spots. Not because they were more important to us. We liked our spots just because uh, it was home. It was connection. It was relationship. It was where I belong. And the table is a lot like that. The table is something that is uh, when, at home that connects us. You know, they've done research, and this is the most amazing thing, that they would poll people and say, what do you think was the most, the biggest indicator for success of your children later on? What was it that made them successful? What was the, what was the element in your home? If I would ask you this, the element in your home that made you, uh, make, will make your kids successful or made your kids successful, you would say all kinds of things. You'd say, ah, uh, uh, two parents. Okay, got that, love that. Or you would say income. Others would say, no, it's not about money, whatever. Now, there's a lot of different views in it. But one of the things that no one ever puts down, but they have discovered is the greatest indicator, single indicator of success for that children have is how many times that family that week sat around the table. How many times did they sit at the table? If it was four or more times, the, the uh, odds of success later on for those children just increased in a geometric fashion. Isn't that amazing? The table, who would think that the table would be so significant? I once, uh, I saw sad news, really, and I'm not picking on him or anything, but uh, Rocky is getting a divorce. You saw that, Sylvester Stallone. And what struck me about it is he's married 27 years. I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's hard for me to imagine. After you've gone through that awkward first year of getting to know each other, and then that five-year, seven-year, nine-year itch, whatever, I mean, I think we itch all the time. But the, just the point, you know, that you work through the marriage and go like, then you go 27 years, and then you say, ah, oh, that's it, I'm, I'm calling it quits. How is that? How do people do that? How do they get to that point? <laughs> but you know what's interesting is they studied and found uh, – what did people put down on their divorce and the reason for divorce? And anyone that has been married 25 years or more, there was all kinds of factors. But the biggest common thing was we just fell out of love. We just aren't connected anymore. And I think what it was is they lost the table. They lost the table. They lost that connection. Maybe the kids moved out and that was the only reason they were there. I, I don't know. But that connection, that relationship is, is, wasn't there. 
This morning, I want to talk to you about that there's still room at the table. There's still room at the table. So if you allow me, I'm going to pull up a chair, and I'm going to sit at the table with you, our metaphorical table, okay? And we're just going to talk a little bit about what does that mean? What does it mean that there's more room at the table? What does that mean (laughs) that God is doing something in that. You know, we've been talking about the three functions of church. There's three primary functions of church, and you'll make me feel really good if you get them. <laughs> What's the, the first one is what? Worship. Worship is a primary function of the church. And then the second one, I'll give you a hint. It starts with a W. Word. Very good. So worship, word, and then the last one I want to talk about this morning is witness. Worship, word, witness. Now, worship we get, there's a different variations of worship and different ways you can worship and such, but uh, and we understand that, and we understand there's things, and, and the word is the truth, and word is essential, and we get that, but when it comes to witness, man, we go off the rail, <laughs> because some will say, don't witness at all, it's only God, and, and I love the Calvinists, and sometimes when I really struggle with witness, I want to be a total Calvinist, <laughs> and then other times your Armenians are over here saying, oh, well, you know, it's, you, it, it's all up to you, it's only up to you, and I think, well, where's God in this picture, and, and, and so it's hard to try to figure out, what do we do, what is our place, what is your place for seeing people come to Jesus Christ, what is your place as a body, as a church, what is that? I remember I grew up in a Christian home and church, and then uh, my youth pastor just got it in his idea. He said, we, you guys need to witness more. So this is the mid-70s, okay? So he said, let's go to this concert and witness. So he took us to uh, the Cotton Bowl, which is in Dallas, at the state fairgrounds with, like, uh, ZZ Top and Led Zeppelin. And their, I, mean, I mean, okay, if you can think of the worst area, environment, where people are the most resistant because they're there for other reasons, that's it. And so he says, let's do that. And so, oh, my goodness, I was just, it was, it was not a good moment, <laughs> you know. And I felt, But there was a few conversations we had, and I get that. There's a few things that were successful, we're able to talk to people. And, you know, but in the end, as I reflected on it, I thought, you know, we would have been much better just to put up a tent and give away food. Everyone would have come. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. In other words, if we just set up a table, if we had something to offer them more than, more than don't do this, don't go that, don't listen to this, all, all this ungodly music, which is really funny now because now it's all classic movie. They play in the elevators. <laughs> you just say, this world, this world is crazy. Do you want to know what I think? This is, in my opinion, the worst translation, verse, uh, translation in the Bible. This is just my opinion, just what it, what it is. I studied 27 different versions. You didn't even know there were 27. There's much more. But I studied 27 different versions, and only three of them got it right. Only three of them. And not the main ones. It was these other sort of other small ones. It was in, it's in Acts chapter 6 verse 2, and this is what it says. The apostles were, you know, struggling because this crisis blew up, and this crisis blew up if the, the Hellenistic Jews' uh, widows weren't getting fed, and so they said, okay, let's figure out some people. Let's find some people that can, and this is what the most translation says, and, and if yours says that, don't throw it out. It's okay. We have a lot of different translations, but it says, well, let's find some people to wait on the table. Let's find some people to wait on the table. 
Now, what's fascinating is that word for wait, that Greek word for wait, is the exact same word they used in the next sentence that says ministry of the word. So the apostles were ministering the word, but these deacons, these people that were signed, were waiting. You see how it, it makes it seem less? And, and the reason that it's so, I'm so passionate about this particular version is it should say they were ministering at the table. And they were ministering the word. Both are relevant. Both are true. Both are necessary in your life. And the question is, are we really ministering at the, at the table? You have a table. Jesus taught at the table. Jesus loved it. Most of the teaching is Jesus at the table. Jesus at the dinner table saying, hey, guys, let's work through this. And when there wasn't a table, what did he do? He created one. <laughs> He said, okay, all this fish, you know, all this bread, all this, this, and he made one out of rocks, and, and, and all of a sudden, it was a big table, you know, where he, it, it, the size didn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're by yourself or whether you're here together. We have a table, the Lord's table. The church constantly met in tables and connections and relationship, and at the same time, together, it was a big table, it was a little table, but it was all about reaching out. It was all about making a difference. So I want to focus this morning, just briefly, just talk to you about Luke 14. In Luke 14, chapter 14, Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home. He's invited to, uh, to be part of it. Now, you're not quite sure about this Pharisee. And usually, in the interactions Jesus had with Pharisees, with, with religious leaders, there's an, uh, an, an, um, a fighting going on, <laughs> put it that way. There was a tension going on. But in this case, you're not really sure. There's some things that might indicate that. So he comes, and they put him at the table. Very significant. The whole thing starts out for He's sitting at the table across from a man who has a disease where his, his body swells. It's, it, gets, it abnormally swells. His stomach, his arms, his face. Now, in that day and age, everyone understood that if you that your physical affirmities were a result of a spiritual problem. So that meant that there was something spiritually wrong. And they would look at him and say, oh, we know what's wrong. You're swelling. You have the spirit of gluttony. <laughs> You're gluttonous. And they all assumed that. They would all that. There would be no one in that room outside of Jesus that would say, okay, he's dealing with gluttony. And so they put this man who had a sin of gluttony in their minds in front of him, and Jesus sat across. He was at Jesus' table. So Jesus knows what's going on. He turns and says, okay, it's the Sabbath. Is it right for me to heal this man at the Sabbath? Of course, nobody wants to answer. Nobody says a word. <laughs> and so Jesus heals him, and this is what's fascinating. Jesus heals him, and after he gets healed, he gets up and, and, and leaves. <laughs> it's, it says it clear that he gets up and leaves. Why does he leave? Well, he gets up and, and leaves because it was never about uh, the, the food that he was trying to eat, which goes against everything they thought. It was about the pain and the hurt that he had. And then Jesus turns to, to, to everybody and says, okay, you have, if, if you have a child or, or uh, an animal even that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not pull them out? Will you not take this, this animal and pull them out? No one answered. You know what the irony of all this is, is they did have a rule. Did you know that? They had a rule. And the rule was, if you have an animal that falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, you can pull them out. 
They actually had that rule. And that was Jesus' point. That's what You have a rule to take care of an animal on the Sabbath, but you do not have anything to take care of someone that's hurting. You do not understand what the table is all about. Now, here's where it goes off the rails. Here's where everything just goes nuts. <laughs> because you look at this, and Jesus moves into Emily Post, right? She just moves. He just says, okay, let me tell you about some table etiquette. etiquette. And, and you might be thinking, what is this all about? He, why is he teaching about how do we behave at the table? And it's so much more than that. If, if you, you have to understand, it's so much more. It's not just about uh, table manners. He's still tying it back to the story I just told about the man that was at the table that needed to be touched. It was always about how do we respond to people at your table? And what, what is it about when they're at your table? And how do you live your life and your, and that, that invites people to the table? Here's the first thing we need to understand about the table. The owner of the table is God. The owner of the table is God. We think it's not. We think a lot of times it's my table, it's my house, it's my life. Come on. I can't step on your toes because I'm sitting down. But I'm, I'm telling you that sometimes we just say, this is who, what I want to do, and this is who, who I am. But the owner of the table is always God. So Jesus tells a story. He says, he looks around and he sees some people fighting for the head spot, fighting for the close chairs. Because the closer you are, the more honored you are, and the more prestigious uh, you have, right? So I, I personally think he's looking at his disciples. <laughs> I think this is about his disciples, and he's just going, dear Lord. <laughs> Dear me, you know, just this, what are they doing? And he says, look, guys, look, don't go to the head seat because uh, the, the host might come in and say, oh, there's someone more important. And now everyone has been seated, and so he pulls you out, and he puts someone there in that t uh, big uh, important position, and you have to go all the way to the back. Don't do that. Instead, be weighed in the back because here's the point. Now, we understand this is about humility. We understand this is about how we treat other people. But don't miss the bigger point. And what is the bigger point? And Jesus was saying, it's not your table. Wow. Think about this. God places up here, and he places down there. God will put you in the place. God will position you. We're not happy. God, I don't want to be here. I want to be up there. <laughs> no one, I'm the only one that feels this way, right? But sometimes, you know, we, we, it's easy to do that. It's easy to miss the bigger picture of how we treat because the table has to be a welcoming table. The table has to be something that goes beyond just, just uh, uh, this is about me. This is what I want. This is who I want to do. It's a welcoming table. I love the story. Lisa told it, and I've told it ever since. It's so good. She's about seven years old. She's at her grandmother's house, and she's visiting. She'd been there before, but in this particular neighborhood, every single home was identical. They call them track homes. <laughs> and it was it, the front, everything was identical. So she goes out and plays. They're having a big dinner, and she goes out and plays, and she gets turned around. I know that's hard to imagine that Lisa gets turned around and gets lost, but she gets a little turned around and gets a little lost. And so she runs in the house, and when she runs back into the house, all of a sudden, she realized something's wrong. Everyone's staring at her. And it doesn't smell right. It's not a bad smell, but the dinner smell isn't there. 
she realizes she ran into the wrong home. Here's this, imagine, okay, you're sitting there, and this little seven-year-old girl runs into your house. No one locked doors back in those days, evidently. So just runs into your house, and all of a sudden, she's standing there, and she's looking around thinking, this is this is wrong. There's something wrong because there's no welcoming here. There's no inviting here. There's no, oh, it's so good. And there's none of that. They're just like, who are you and why are you in my house? You ever gone to church and feel that way? <laughs> Come on. Don't nod your head. <laughs> You're not welcome. You're not welcome. And that's what Lisa felt. She felt, she felt unwelcome. And she also noticed there's no dinner going on. Maybe they already ate. Maybe they don't eat. I don't know. Maybe they just had hot dogs. But there was a, there was a you know, a ham and a roast or something going, turkey going on. At, and she said, this smell is wrong. And it made me think of this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but thanks be to God who through us, through you, spreads everywhere, what? The fragrance of the knowledge Is it rude to ask you, what do you smell like? What kind of fragrance are you putting off at your table? Is it a welcoming table? Is it, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're important. You're, you're welcome here. I'm so, this is where I, I want you to be. Thanks be to God who's, who through us, through you, spreads the fragrance. And the question is, what kind of fragrance is your life spreading? Is it spreading the grace of God? Is it spreading something so much bigger and greater than than you imagine, because that's my second thought. You see, the purpose of the table is greater. And you say, greater than what? And I say, yes, it's greater than you think. Your table and the purpose of your table that God owns, that God's given you, your life, your welcoming. Don't get lost in the metaphors. You understand what I'm talking about. Your outreach, your caring for other people, your inviting other people, all of that is, is, is do you understand it's greater? than what you can even imagine, even think about. Jesus tells a second story about his table. And in this story, he said, oh, he turns to the host. This is what makes you think that maybe the Pharisee is someone who wants to follow him because he's teaching him. He's not rebuking him. He's teaching him, look, when you throw a party, don't just invite all your friends and your family. Well, family's always first. <laughs> Right. So don't just do that. Don't just do that. And, I, and because this is what happens. If you do, they'll invite you. Because you throw a party, and they throw a party, and you throw a party, and everybody has a party. Let's all have a big party, because we can all enjoy each other's parties. He says, no, invite someone who can't give it back. The poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled. That's who you invite. That there is absolutely no way so that you give them something they cannot give back. That's my table. That's what it means to be at the table. That's what it means to care for people and reach out to people is you're giving them something they can't give back. Jesus taught us how to set the table and how to set it for other people. It's about giving back. Have you ever had a, been at a Christmas party or something and done a white elephant gift? You know, those things. You, I find them annoying. I mean, in, well, I'll say that and I'll get invited to one. You know, you gotta, you gotta be like, oh no, I don't want that, and then you really do want that, and then you, got, then you gotta steal it. What kind of morals are we teaching in church? And yet, this is one of our favorite games, right? Probably like that. But imagine if you're at a white elephant gift party, and you get up and you 
grab a box. It's just a small little box. You think, oh, I don't want to get the bigger boxes because we, we all think the same way. Bigger boxes mean bigger gifts, right? Small little golf box means something little stupid. Coasters, you know. If you gave me coasters, I love it. I love the coasters. Wow. <laughs> and, you, and you open it up, and it's a brand new, top-of-the-line tag watch or Omega or anything else you can imagine right now. If you know watches, you're thinking, oh, that'll be you. It's that kind of watch. And you're going, whoa, you, you don't want anyone to see it because someone's going to steal it. But imagine it. You're thinking, how did I get this? I don't deserve it. And that's exactly what Jesus is teaching. Don't give so that you get back. Your table should be something, because you're not just giving dinner or compassion or fellowship or connection or God's word in a study. or, or You're not just giving that. You're giving something greater. You know what we give? We give the grace of God. A price, a gift beyond price, beyond measure, beyond understanding of, of, of anything. That's what God gave me. He gave me a box of grace. I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I can't deserve it. I can't do anything. And yet he gave it to me. How can I not give it back? How can I not say, no, 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 you don't have to steal it. <laughs> Let me just give it to you. Let me give it to you and you and you and you and you. You see the urgency of what God is trying to do because that brings us to our third thought and final. The urgency of the table is always raised. A man hearing these stories, and, I, and honestly, I don't know if Jesus was going to finish with these two stories. I said it, that's it. Or Jesus had another one and the man interrupted. But either way, the man says, oh, wow. How amazing is it going to be to sit at God's table? Oh, you know, in heaven, when we get there. That's going to be a, such a blessing. Blessed is a man that does that. And I think Jesus just stopped a moment. And whether he was going to say the story or not, it goes right into it. And he says, let me tell you one more story. Before I let you go this morning, I'm going to tell you one more story that Jesus told. And he said there was a man that threw a big banquet, big, big, big banquet, and he says, okay, this is what this banquet is really all about. Come and, and fellowship with me. And he sent out his servants, sent out the invitations, and they all came back and said, oh, and we could talk about uh, the excuses. Oh, I got, I got cows, and I got to go home and take care of my cows because, you know, you got to watch them cows because they'll do cow stuff. I don't know. You know, or I, I got this work here. I got this oxen. I got to go do that. Or the best one, I love it. It's my wife. It's my wife's fault. I got to go home. <laughs> I just got married her, and she wants me there, you know, whatever. And so we can talk about the excuses, and you can break all that down, but that's really not the point. They all made excuses to it. And so when they had their excuses, and the, the man that was giving the great banquet said, go out, go to the alleys and the streets and the roads all around. Find the, blame, the, the blind, the blame. The, we are to blame. <clears throat> Find the blind, the crippled, the lame. The same thing he just shared ties the stories all together. So it's really, it's not three tables, it's just one. God's table that he's given you to touch someone else's life. So he, he, he says, go out. And they go out. This is the key verse. You wouldn't think it's a key verse, but it's the one I want you to just burn in your heart. 
burning your mind and your spirit. You're thinking about, oh, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to witness? Are we supposed to witness this way or that way? Or I don't witness that way. Or I do this way. I'm like, okay, let, oh, fine. Whatever that is. Know this verse. Luke 14, verse 22. Sir, sir, the servant said, what you ordered, it's been done. But there's still room. I, I, I love this servant. He said, we did it. We did it. Man, we went to the alleys, and it stunk. We went all the way to the, where the trash heap is, and we pulled them right off the trash heap. We did it. We did it. We got them. It's, it's not full yet, but it, it, we did it. And you would think the master would go, man, good job. You guys are awesome. Just incredible. You care for people. Pull them off the trash. But, but that's not what Jesus said. And you get this sense, and all of a sudden, everything just changes. And he says, oh, that's good. That's, that's fine. But now I want you to go further. Go beyond what you've done. Go beyond how much care you think you've given. How, how, how much you can actually give, or how much you can actually care, or how much you can actually invite. Go beyond all of that, because it's not enough. You see, because in the first part, he says, go bring him in. And then he changes the word to compel them to compel them. There's an urgency there. There's a fire there. There's something that's there that the servant didn't catch. As good as he was, as much as he tried, he said, but you're not kidding what I'm feeling. You're not getting because it's so important. We have to compel them. You know, the country, that the, the, it might, your translation might say go to the country. It actually means a hedge. It, literally, it means a barrier. You know what he said? Break down the barriers. In that culture, go to the Greek, <laughs> go to the Gentile, go to the Jew, whatever that is. Go to the man, go to the woman, break down the barrier. You think, oh, I don't go there. <laughs> I don't do that. Well, this is how much I do. Or this is a... Go break down every barrier so that someone can come to my table. Do you feel the urgency? Do you feel that what Jesus is saying in the story about his table? Do you understand it? I, just one more quick verse. Actually, two more, but Luke 14, 23. This is the message version. I, I just love it because it's just so simple. Says, I want my house full. And I read that as I studied, thinking about being a witness, and my heart just broke. God says, I want my house full. I'm not talking about just these chairs. The kingdom. I want it full. Do I have that urgency? Do I have that desire to reach out? I want my house full. When I was just a little boy, I'm really strange. Some of you, that's where you don't say amen, so you did good there. But I have certain pictures that I just remember so vividly, I mean with clarity. I could hear the birds. I, can, I could smell the pine trees. I could, I could, I could do it all that. I can see it. And I remember this one time my family went out to East Texas. We lived in Dallas, went out to East Texas, and East Texas to log cabin estates. And they wanted to buy a piece of property, probably way over. We never did because they didn't have any money. We used it all to eat. So they went out there, and they were looking. We had a big family. It wasn't just my aunts were there and other people. It was a whole bunch of us. And they showed us around these properties. And, and then we went to have lunch. Of course, we brought food. I mean, we brought food. I mean, that's when 
That's when your picnic was a picnic. I mean, it was fried chicken. That's when KFC made chicken. I don't know what they do now, but it was like there, you know. It was like, oh, I loved it. I just couldn't wait. And I'm sitting at the table because I'm a little boy saying, I'm hungry. <laughs> Feed me. And that's all I cared about. And all that, I was sitting at the table, and the, everyone was around, and they're setting down stuff. And I looked up, and so did the rest of my family. And on the next table over was the woman that was shown as a piece of property. And she had a couple of bags of food as well. Not as much, but pretty bag. Too much for her. And she's just sitting there by herself at the table. That was very curious for me. And I remember looking at there thinking, why are you over there? You're at the wrong table. And then they're the adults, you know, because the adults, they, t- they talk about stupid stuff all the time. They're just talking. Blah, blah, blah. So the adults, this is what I'm thinking as a, as a kid. They're talking about, well, maybe she's inviting someone else. Maybe that's for someone like that. Well, should we invite her? I don't know. So they're analyzing. They're talking all this. And I'm just feeling all of a sudden something inside of me is just going. And for some reason, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm just telling you as, as truthful as I can be. Something inside of me just said, would you just shut up and go invite the woman? Would you just, would you just, she's by herself. And I had such compassion. I don't know where it came from because normally that's not me, okay? I'm a little boy just like everything else, and I just wanted to eat. But there was such compassion, and they kept talking and kept talking. I'm thinking, just invite her. Just invite her. She's at the wrong table. But they were being proper, and do we invite her? Do we not? What's going on? So finally my mother and my two aunts went over there, invited her over. And she said, oh, yeah. Had a big old smile. I don't know all the details of the planning or who was supposed to do what or why. I don't know that. Because at that point, I didn't care. We're just all at the table. <laughs> and I wonder how many times God's just thinking, just bring him to your table. God, I don't do that. I don't witness that way. I don't understand what that is. And if the Holy Spirit... He, does to, he talks to me like this. But if he does to you, maybe he's just saying, just shut up and go invite him. They're at the wrong table. They don't know me. They don't know God. But God, I, well, you'll take care of that. Your Holy Spirit will have to do that. You'll have to work on him. Come on, I'm just talking to you here. It's crazy what, you, what goes on in my theological mind sometimes, analyzing it all. And God just said, just invite him. Just love them. Do you feel that urgency? Do you feel the urgency? Jesus had another occasion like this in John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. And he was talking about, do do you feel that urgency? And basically he said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. It's not about a guilt trip. It's about an urgency. It's about knowing why you have the table you have, the influence you have, and who you're going to bring to the table. And I love the little pronouns there. It says, we must do the works of him who sent me. (laughs) The father sent the son. And he said, he didn't say I must do. He said, we must do the works. Taiwan has been in the news lately, and is China going to take it over, all that kind of stuff, whatever. I follow politics. I don't know. We could be at the brink of war, and only Mike would know. 
<clears throat> maybe Justin, maybe they don't tell me. But something struck me that I found out about them. They have a greeting. You know, we have a greeting. If, if you go up to someone, you say, hi, how are you? We really don't want to know how are they. Do you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you ever done that and someone started going into it? And you go, whoa, whoa, wait, we're just trying to say hi. Because <laughs> we're really not sure that's what we want at our table. But they have a greeting, and it's hi. And you know what it translates into afterwards? Have you eaten? <laughs> I want to steal it. I want it. That's our church Hi, have you eaten? In other words, are you hungry? Because I got a table. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you how God can change your life. Let me tell you how it can make a difference. And you say, Greg, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to witness. What if I say the wrong thing? What if they see my life and say I'm nothing but a hypocrite? Just invite them to the table. And let God touch them. And God love them. Do you feel that urgency? Come on. We have a table. This morning, we've been partaking of God's Word. Now, you take that, and you allow God to move in your heart to touch other people. You receive the Word this morning. Come on, give God thanks. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray you speak to each and every one of us. God, we love you so much, and I know these people are people that love you and love people and care about outreach. God, sometimes we get so lost in the logistics that we just forget to invite them to the table. So, Father, I pray now, pray if there's anyone in this room that's feeling alone and isolated, sitting at the wrong table, God, I pray you touch their heart right now. I pray you'd move in their spirit right now. Let them know how much you love them and how you died for them. And if there's anyone in the sound of my voice watching online now or in the months to come or in this room, God, that does not know you, God, bring them to the table. Let them feel the welcoming grace that comes only from you. Forgive us of our sins. Remove the stain of our selfishness. And God, let us serve you with all of our heart. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single person that we are at the table. And we're not just there, God, but we're turning around saying, <laughs> who else needs to be at this table? God, I pray you do that with such grace, with such love, with such freedom in our hearts that it changes the world we live in. And I pray in your name. Amen.